This is episode number 754 with Jason Warner, co-founder and CEO at Poolside. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, we are extremely fortunate to have the exceptionally gifted and exceptionally visionary Jason Warner on the show. Jason is co-founder and CEO of Poolside, a hot venture capital-backed startup that will shortly be launching its code-specialized large language model and accompanying interface that is designed specifically for people who code, like software developers and data scientists. Previously, Jason was managing director at the renowned Bay Area VC Redpoint Ventures. Before that, he held a series of senior software leadership roles at major tech companies, including being CTO of GitHub. Today's episode should be fascinating to anyone keen to stay abreast of the state of the art in AI today and what could happen in the coming years. In today's episode, Jason details why a code generation specialized LLM like Poolsides will be far more valuable to humans who code than generalized LLMs like GPT-4 or Gemini. And he also fills us in on why he thinks AGI itself will be brought about by a code-specialized ML model like Poolsides. All right, let's jump right into our conversation. Jason, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm calling in from uh, my home in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Nice, yeah. And you're not Canadian originally, but you have found my home nation and fallen in love with it. I could add something I said to you before we started recording is that if I ever move back to Canada from New York, the West Coast, like where you are, uh, so um, I always say Vancouver, which is on the mainland, but you're on Victoria, which is slightly confusingly on Vancouver Island. (laughs) It's it's a great place to live, great place to raise kids. It's a wonderful place to be. And yeah, uh, I'm an American, um, though I'm now a Canadian permanent resident. And, uh, you know, for traveling abroad, I'll say, you know, I'm I'm a Canadian. It's easier. It's easier in that way. But yeah, people who don't know it, Victoria is a special place. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out someday soon. It does sound amazing. So we know each other through Kyle Daigle. He was in episode number 730. Uh, he is the COO of GitHub and you used to be the CTO. So mm-hmm. you guys overlap there. Um, and yeah, he highly recommended you as a guest. When I asked him if there's anyone I should speak to, he said, you got to talk to Jason. He's doing such exciting things. I looked at what you were doing and I was like, yeah, we got to get Jason on the show right away. So you're co-founder and CEO of Poolside, which was funded by or is funded by Redpoint Ventures. So you, uh, for a couple of years, you worked at Redpoint in between GitHub and now founding Poolside coming up on a year ago uh, that you founded it. So you're yeah, co-founder, CEO, and the thesis from what I've read, and you're welcome to correct me, but from what I've read doing my research, the thesis with Poolside is that there is tremendous value in large language models and in the flow tools for developers. So I have a lot of experience using GPT-4 for code generation as a part of ChatGPT. And so you had this experience in venture capital Obviously, there's a market there. So like fill me in, fill my audience in on why a tool, why a large language model specifically for code, like you're working on a pool side, can be better than the general approach that I get. And I, I'm quite happy with um, using something like GPT-4 in the chat GPT interface. Um, so 
Uh, let's start with a, a different way of trying to describe this. So imagine, if you will, that GPT-4, which is, as far as I'm concerned, the gold standard. It is by far the best in almost every way possible what it does. But let's just call GPT-4 for the moment the Toyota Camry. It is a vehicle. It is the best-selling sedan in the world and is a general purpose vehicle. It can take you to work, go on vacation, haul your family around, go get groceries. But imagine all of a sudden, you know, because it's the only vehicle in the world at the moment, you start abusing it for things that it really wasn't built for. You put a tow hitch on it, you start to pull loads, larger and larger loads over time. But, and because of, of you know, for necessity, you start using it on the farm or on the job site, or you start tuning the, the shit out of this thing and start racing it on the racetrack. Well, that works because it's the only thing out there. Right. And then you have other people, you have other people coming into the world, building other versions of sedans, saying they're slightly different. So Anthropic's building the Honda Accord. Uh, open source models might be the Hyundai Sonata or whatever version of these things that exist. And developers are the ones who are putting the tow hitch on this or a, you know, trying to have it haul tons of hay or using it on the job site, if, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're introducing a new vehicle type. So still a large language model with applications that are built on top of it, but it's a new vehicle type. And it's the Ford F-150. And it is specifically built for those environments and those orientations and those jobs. And you can still abuse us. You could say, hey, well, I'm going to take you on a 10,000 mile road trip. I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, that's not what we're for. Yeah, we're going to be capable of doing that, but you might be more comfortable going to get, you know, the newly introduced other vehicle type, like the minivan. And that's what's going to happen in the world over the next couple of years is that not one vehicle type is going to exist to serve all purposes. You're going to start to have specialty vehicles introduced. Now, we happen to believe that we are not a fully specialized vehicle or more of like a general special purpose, like the, a truck is a very different general special purpose than something like a dump truck, as an example. So that's how I'm trying to explain to the world what we're doing. These general purpose models are all sedans. We're introducing the world to a truck for the very first time. And that's what we're doing. That is an amazing analogy. And you can tell that you have a lot of experience either listening to or giving pitches because that was probably of the hundreds of guests that I've interviewed on the show, that was probably the clearest analogy describing what somebody's doing in their AI company that I've heard. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah, crystal clear. Yeah, you're building the F-150. When will my listeners roughly be able to get their hands on an F-150? Uh, Q2 of this year. That's when we want to launch. Oh, wow. So we're, we're putting, you know, this, this is a sprint now for us to get there. We're working with design partners right now, um, and uh, we're showing them the applications that we're building on top of everything, and we're in the middle of model training at the moment. So Q2 is our target. Who knows? We just, you know, when this is being recorded, things uh, things get announced. Meta just announced that they're trying to soak up every single GPU in the world at the moment. So mm -hmm. things uh, might change a little bit, but that's, one, that's our target, Q2 this year. Very cool. Well, that's exciting. And are you able to let us get a glimpse as to 
how modeling outputs might be different with an F-150 versus trying to use a Camry for code generation? Or are you able to give some insights uh, for us into what the user experience would be like using poolside as opposed to using a chat GPT interface? A bit. And okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Totally understand. <laughs> and so what this, what we're, we're trying to show is that th there is a moment in time that we exist in it right now, which is why analogy like the, the Camry to the Ford F-150 makes sense because we are all entering this land at the same time at the same starting point, but we're diverging in the woods. The further we diverge in the woods as we walk these different paths, the more obvious what the terrain differences start to look like. But we are literally only a couple of steps into this park together. You know, OpenAI has a couple of, a couple of uh, you know, let's, let's say that a couple of meters on everybody else at the moment. But the point being, we're looking roughly at the same landscape. From an experience perspective, what we care about is the future of software. So let me break down how I think about product development and we'll, we'll, you'll get to why I, I, I'm gonna answer the question this way. Um, I believe similar to what Jeffrey Moore said a long time ago, there's areas of your product in the moment and then long-term that you think about differentiation, neutralization, and then optimization. Our model out of the gate will be differentiated. It'll, it'll be a different experience. You're gonna feel it differently when people will, will, um, will use the model. In conjunction with the applications we build on top of it, which is you know, Copilot or ChatGPT, that'll be, we're gonna neutralize more than not on that experience. And then optimization for us as a startup is not something we think about on a regular basis. That's for the big guys to think about. So our model will be differentiated. Our experience out of the gate will be more neutralized. So if you used GitHub Copilot, you kind of understand what we're building. If you use ChatGPT, you'll understand our web interface. Uh, perplexity is probably closer to how we're thinking about our web interfaces, but you get an idea of what to experience there. From a model perspective, there's a massive, massive difference between us and others in that one, one, something that's tuned for software will know more about software. And what I mean by this specifically is if Anthropic and OpenAI, OpenAI has been made famous reinforcement learning via human feedback. Anthropic has made famous reinforcement learning uh, via um, constitutional AI or algorithmic AI and things of that nature. We're introducing something that we call reinforcement learning via code execution feedback. So taking advantage of the aspects of software and the aspects of code that you would might imagine. One, it's it's inspectable. Two, it's runnable. And three, you know, you it, you have to compile or execute these things, and you can get deterministic feedback. And so, what we have done is inside of our training set, you know, we've we've made very, 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 very different decisions than general purpose models would make. And this is kind of goes to the heart of why a truck is different than a sedan, is we've made very different design decisions. We have included only high quality code. In the model, we have cut data sources out of the initial data set because we it's a very different audience that's going to use this for a very different purpose. And so this goes to the reinforcement learning side of the fence, too. We care very deeply that, yeah, we'll have human feedback as well. But the reinforcement learning is going to be all about what's produced from the software side. So we've taken about 50,000 real world projects out, high quality real world projects out of the initial training data set and are using it on the reinforcement side. We've made all the Git commits executable. We have all three legs of the stool that we need. We've got the, the issue it's described you know, in real language. We've got the code, we've got tests, we've got all of the things that we need. And we send this through a reinforcement learning platform on our model to see what it does. 
and we start to make them our model better. We effectively are teaching our model how to code sequentially over time. And this is how you're going to experience the difference in here. It's just going to be orders of magnitude better on one. Is if you just think about this as code completion, code suggestion, it'll be better. But more than that, it's going to know more because it'll have experienced more of not just code, but software, the entirety of software. That said, there's one even further unique difference between us and how most developers in the world will experience this at some point, because most developers in the world work inside corporations. And people who use GPT-4 today inside hobby projects or, or online, we're going to have a version of that as well. It'll be you know poolside. You'll be able to use it in a, a SaaS offering. Our, our platform will be out there. People can move over. You know, Replit might want to switch to our model at some point. Um, all these these online tools might want to switch to our model at some point. But we're also going to bring our entire stack, the model, the platform, the applications to enterprises inside their environments to fine tune on their data. So all their code bases, all their knowledge rep repositories will be fine tuned in a way that we never see the code. We never see these things. They don't make it back to poolside. They never make it back into our models. It's specific. It's bespoke to them. It's all all for them. And we do this, obviously, because that's where every organization in the world is going to get the lift. Our model will be the best in the world for software development. But contextually now, it has all of your information. It, it's, it's aware of your code names, your coding styles, or your, your, your own homegrown programming languages or your customized web frameworks or any of those sorts of things. I mean, heck, at some point, you're going to change your policy management to hook into Poolside because that is going to that's going to be how these things work in the future. So I just spoke for a while trying to explain how people are going to feel and manifest this you know, differently when it manifests in the world. But it, it kind of goes to like why this should exist in the first place. The model will be better because it's specifically oriented to software development. The go-to-market will matter because now finally, for the first time, enterprises can actually use one of these things in their environments. And make no mistake, enterprises should not be using models that are ever going to train on their outputs. Mm -hmm. And you know, thirdly, developers are going to finally get access to these things in enterprises. You just did my job there because my job is to kind of summarize back to you what you just said, <laughs> but you just did it perfectly. So tick, tick, tick. Uh, and so then I'll just say that I love, uh, you know, I can see how from an investor's perspective, having that enterprise play at the end there, fine tuning on-prem on their data, that's going to be nice and sticky. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it, it's a brilliant brilliant strategic choice to make there um, in developing your product. And I'm sure your investors will appreciate it as well. Um, awesome. So loved that introduction to poolside. It occurred to me as you were speaking that maybe I understand now the poolside name as well, which is maybe this idea of a developer sitting poolside, <laughs> maybe with a cocktail or something while code is being written for them and they can be enjoying life. So I have a firm view in life. Let me back up a little bit for the folks that aren't familiar with me as well. And I'll just give a little bit of background on me and you'll, a lot of this will make sense too. But you're, <laughs> you're, you're dead on on the name for what it's worth. My background is poolside. Before this, I was an investor at Redpoint, as we mentioned in the intro, uh, where I was investing in AI and infrastructure things um, and then incubated poolside to, to roll out. Um, before that, I was a CTO at GitHub two years pre-Microsoft acquisition, two years post. Before that, same thing at Heroku, which is a platform as a service now with Salesforce, one of the most popular 
passes in the world, even to this day. And before that was canonical, the people make Ubuntu Linux. So my entire user base, customer base for the past, whatever, 15 years of my life has exclusively been developers. And all I really think about is the future of software. And I think about like theoretical possible workflows. Every time a developer touches the key on their keyboard to what happens in machinates in production, the theoretical best possible flow there is every time a developer touches the key, something happens in production, collapsing the entire chain down to as narrow, as, 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 as collapsed a view as possible. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not possible to get to that level, but you can understand, like when you think about the future of software, what it looks like. With Poolside, with AI, with Poolside in general, and what the world is going to look like in the coming years. And make no mistake, like bad metaphors aside, like this is like literally the top of the first inning, first pitch pitched type of deal where we are right now. Um, but and I don't mean we as in Poolside, I mean we as an industry, as a as a as a world with what's what's about to happen here. And you know, from an investor standpoint, I don't think any real any investors really fully recognize this because what I'm about to say might blow some people's uh, minds, make me think make them think I'm absolutely crazy. But we believe that we're in the world right now where we're effectively giving all the developers around the world AI assistance. So you're developer-led AI assisted. And these AI assistants are gonna get better and better and better. They're gonna have more and more agency. Um, we're, we, we may or may not give them autonomy, but we're basically gonna sit there and say, hey, the world's best pair programmer or assistant next to you. Um, you know, At the moment, if you give a senior developer any of the tools on the market, that's, it's like a power tool. If you give a junior developer any of these, it actually could be disastrous. So there's like this wide gap in between who is using these tools and how effective they are. In the coming years, what will happen is as we add more agency to these things and, they, and these tools themselves have to earn the trust of the humans involved, will be AI-led, human-assisted. AIs will start to do more and more and more. They'll, you know, you could view a world in which, as an example, like where, what Poolside might do in the future, when I think about the future of software, is you log in to Poolside inside your enterprise and all your JIRA tickets, all of your GitHub PRs, all of your, you know, Valgrind runs or your debug runs, all your pre-production check flights, whatever, whatever internal systems and checkpoints that you use are all kind of amalgamated into one view. And Poolside's gone through and said, hey, I've taken some liberties on your side. I've decomposed a JIRA ticket, or I saw somebody said th they rejected your PR, so I've made a change. Would you like to resubmit it? So that's kind of like AI-led human-assisted. We start to decide if the AI did something for me, do I want to go forward with it? And you can start to see how that's going to evolve, how that might feel to somebody. And this isn't about like automatically writing documentation or automatically writing unit tests. All those things are features. Those things aren't actually real platforms. They're not real products. Those things will go away in a couple of years. Those are all feature sets of like this, these autonomous AIs. And that will give way to eventually when these AIs are so smart that 90% of people in the world can write 90% of software. Not everything, but 90% of software can be written exclusively by someone just interacting in an NLP style with these AIs. And we call that AI-led human assistant. I totally follow you. I buy into your vision. I don't think you're crazy at all. I think that that is absolutely where we're going with this. And then you've also now started to answer what was going to be my next topic area. You're segueing into, a, segueing into it perfectly. This is a uh, guest-led, host-assisted episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because the next thing that I wanted to ask you about is 
um, I read, uh, and so let me, let me, this is actually, this is a quote from Poolside. It says, Poolside aims to unlock humanity's potential by pursuing AGI, artificial general intelligence, for software creation with the fundamental belief that the transitional path for humanity to AGI is by building for specific capabilities instead of a general purpose approach. So you've now started to give us some of the picture, I think, into why you believe that. And that belief is, um, it's, it's, it's maybe not the most popular uh, perspective from people who are developing AGI. So DeepMind, for sure, at least at this time, they are taking the tack of let's build a system that can do one task well and then have that same algorithm do well on parallel tasks. And then let's see how we can get that to do on yeah. even less related tasks. So they are going from specific to general deliberately. And it sounds like you're taking the opposite approach. And so, yeah, fill us in more on, on your thinking there. So there's, there's a couple of general thoughts here which lead us to this. And I'm going to be super transparent because the listeners here, I, I doubt there's too many investors that might be listening to this, but I think it's fun for people to, to understand how, how my mind works and how ISO Kant is my co-founder. Um, and for those that don't know him, he should come on here and talk about some of the specifics that we're, we're dealing I'd, with as well. I'd love that for sure. And we also do, at least I know personally, at least in the New York area, I don't know about like Bay Area or other parts of the world, but in New York, I frequently run into investors who listen to my show. Um, so yeah. You so investors, surprised. if I insult you in the next couple of <laughs> minutes, I apologize. How's that? Um, but he, here's our view um, of this, which is that uh, there, there's first, let's just conceptually say, does the world need another sedan? Yeah, there's always room for more sedans. There's always room for another one of those. But do we have a unique viewpoint? Is it worth our time, energy, and effort to go do this? Well, our unique, unique viewpoint was a new vehicle is needed. A new vehicle is needed because one of a market opportunity. Yes, 100%. Like the, the, we, we think it's a market opportunity. In fact, we think that the software side of a, of a you know, a software side of defense is actually an unlimited TAM, just like the general intelligence side of this is effectively an unlimited TAM. That allows us some liberties. One of the liberties is that we could self-fund this company to pursue AGI. We don't have to rely on the magnanimity of these massive institutions to throw billions of dollars into us in that same way. We will have to build a real business. We will build a real business and we can self-fund this to a degree. That's the practical side of that answer. That's the very methodical, we're going to build one of those businesses side of the answer. The other side of the answer is we think it's actually at least as viable. And it's important that I state, I state this, that we think it's at least as viable to start here. Now, we also happen to go a bit further. We think it's a more viable, a, a, probably a faster, cheaper path. And the reason why is you, if you deconstruct what it means to, to develop software, think about what it takes to actually build software. You have to have elements of planning. You have to solve for elements of understanding and reasoning. And you have to be able to hold these concepts in your head. It's not literally just about all of the quote unquote next token type of stuff. You actually have to hold these things. And like your context windows have to get larger because you've got to hold it available to you in your head. Like just let's let's take AI out of it. Let's take LLMs out of it for a second and talk about the best developers we've ever met in our lives. And what do we always say about them? They can hold these things in their head while they're rotating them or while they're 
deconstructing them while they're doing this, they can kind of zoom in and they can change a couple of things and it can go back out and it can largely work. Well, what are we, what are we actually describing when we talk about those folks? And a lot of the papers that have been released recently, which is the, the geometric one from DeepMind as an example, like they all point to the fact that when you have, when you have LLMs married with uh, effectively some structured elements to use, you get, you get a much broader, a much quicker, broader kind of like point towards intelligence. And so what, what, is, what is the area of the world that we have the most data on that has some structure to it. Well, in my view, it's, it's software, it's code. Like you could talk about mathematics or physics, which are, you know, and if you think about these from a pure, 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 pure definitional perspective, math is all the way over here. Pure conceptual math is all the way to the right. Then you got physics and you got computer science and they're all sub elements of math. Well, we just happen to have all of this data on computer science, like the most copious amounts of data in the world. Um, and so that's, part of our thinking there. It's like exactly that. It's like we're going into that area. It's conceptually true. Now, we also hold some other views, which is it's likely not going to come from this wave. We don't know the answer to this question, but it's not likely that you're going to get to that level in this wave. We actually hold a, probably a little bit closer to Jan's thinking here, which is like LLMs as policy moving on to a different architecture at some point. But the marriage of these things is actually what's going to get us to something reasoning these AGI elements. But, you know, that, that that's one of those like over beers at a conference start discussing these things and debating them type of view. But you can largely understand what I'm what I'm kind of like meandering around in this the thought maze. It's it's by the very nature of what software is, it allows us to structure methodically get to these points. It makes a ton of sense to me. You've absolutely sold me on this. Um, a, a quick abbreviation explanation there for our non-investor listeners. Uh, the TAM word that Jason mentioned a couple of times there uh, is the total addressable market. So, you know, how much market is there for the product that you're building? Um, and uh, the you quickly mentioned there at the time of us recording this episode, the DeepMind Alpha Geometry paper had just come out. Um, I'm planning on doing an episode dedicated to that uh, coming up soon, but uh, I'll have a link to that fascinating uh, research. So it's, it's a huge advancement in AI reasoning and math. Um, I'll have that DeepMind paper on alpha geometry in the show notes, but, uh, to, to now agree with what you were just saying, I totally get it. I hadn't thought about what you're saying before, but it makes perfect sense to me with what you're doing at poolside. So not only are approaches like alpha geometry from DeepMind, but also the rumored, the rumored QSTAR algorithm from OpenAI. So QSTAR, what we know about QSTAR, we have a lot of folks over at OpenAI, so we can unfortunately we can you know fortunately kind of verify this. QSTAR is um, QSTAR in our approach is actually very similar in a lot of ways, and like you can think about like deconstructing what QSTAR has been rumored to to be about. You can understand when we start talking about planning, when we start talking about like AlphaGo style like deconstructions of semantic trees, which are basically lines of code inside there what we're doing what we're going to experiment with this won't come up with this is our this is our version of research at poolside autonomous code writing via these kind of like these folded structures like this is what we're doing that is absolutely fascinating i didn't know that doing the research for this episode and wow i mean this has turned out to be an extremely fascinating episode yeah so if listeners want to hear more about qstar i talked about that uh, i dedicated episode number 742 qstar uh, and what's rumored about it and so we know 
based on papers that OpenAI have been publishing that seem to be related and that Jason is nodding his head <laughs> to, it's this, it's, and it sounds, so it sounds similar to what y'all are up to at Poolside, where you're deconstructing a multi-step problem into these steps and figuring out what the best, uh, what the best path to take is at each of those individual steps. And when, so in some of the papers that OpenAI has published, which may or may not be related to QSTAR, but seem to probably be, they had to create a data set of hundreds of thousands of step-by-step -step answers to math questions. There was tens of thousands of math questions with hundreds of thousands of step-by-step -step, uh, steps. <laughs> and those had to be created by a human. The advantage that you're describing with taking a similar approach to code is that you don't need to have, because yeah, you already have it. You have way more abundant data, orders and orders of magnitude more abundant data. And because it's executable, you also know whether it's gonna work. Yep. You know, it, when when we dive into this and start talking about it, people do, the kind of lights go on. And for us, again, it's, it's it's one of those those moments where we we do sound crazy because we're taking a very different approach. But like the entire purpose of what we're doing is we do think that we're zigging when others are zagging because we again we're not intentionally we're not trying to build a sedan. We don't actually care about building the sedan. We we care very deeply about building the truck. And we think the truck is also a vehicle type that's going to serve a lot of purposes and eventually they might converge. And you know the Ford F one fifty has a Raptor version which you don't use on the uh, on the farm. Right. You know, like I'm, I'm abusing the analogy here, but you get what I mean by this. Like we, we this software allows us a lot of things that in a world. It allows us a lot of liberties and a lot of advantages, and I think that we have underestimated how much advantage we can get out of this, which is also why small code only models don't make sense. Small code only models for code completion don't make any sense anymore because the point is for these things, unless you're, you're exclusively care about code completion, if you only care about code completion as a tool, code only models make sense. But if you care very deeply about like what the future of software looks like in the future of, of all of this stuff, you start to understand Poolside looks like open AI just oriented towards a very specific domain, a very different domain. Yeah. And a domain that happens to <laughs> potentially be a path to AGI. Very cool. Um, so I want to be conscious of your time. And this, and so, uh, you know, this is absolutely fascinating. We could frankly talk about for hours and maybe we will have ISO on in the near future to, to dig into this a bit more. But um, before I let you go, there's another fascinating thing about what you're doing today that I'd like to just talk about with the audience a little bit. And this is that you sit on the operating board of one of the oldest and most renowned hedge funds in the world, Bridgewater. Um, so what is an operating board and yeah, what do you do? What do you do on that? How does that help, you know, this, this huge renowned hedge fund, uh, be more effective? Uh, so this is, um, all new, uh, I just joined officially, uh, late last year, late in 2023, um, Bridgewater is, uh, the world's largest, oldest, uh, maybe one of the most storied hedge funds of all time founded by Ray Dalio. And what the operating board is, is a way, it's not a public entity. Bridgewater is not a public entity. So what it is, is a way to mimic some of the public controls in a private entity as the company was transitioning from a founder-led organization with Ray to an entity that wouldn't involve Ray in day-to-day -day, um, 
business. So if you go and look at who is on the operating board as the CEO, you know, either current CEOs or presidents of major institutions or former CEOs of some of the largest things in the world, because it's all about operations. It's all about understanding, you know, how to how to put the controls in place and the, the right protocols, et cetera, of that. Um, my involvement with them is obviously going to be from a technical um, a technical side of the fence and an artificial intelligence side of the fence. And Bridgewater is one of the uh, probably most talked about in terms of the way that they've used computation to do trading for a long time, but this wave is different. They have an initiative that is all about large language models, about AI, about using and, and applying those initiatives to their domain. And then obviously it's just the pure technical side of the fence too, is being a, you know, a 20 year CTO, scaling and operating technical businesses, what I've done, and then applying intelligence to them is you know, what every company in the world is going to have to do in the next 10 years. And Bridgewater has a massive head, head start on that from most of the institutions in the world. But, uh, you know, lend a hand where I can on that. Fascinating. Very cool to think about. And yeah, it can make a huge impact there for sure. Thank you, Jason. This has been, I knew this was going to be a good episode, but wow. <laughs> Thanks for having it's me. Just incredible. Uh, before I let you go, I ask all of my guests for a book recommendation. Do you happen to have one for us? Ah, book recommendation. So I like to recommend some of the same ones a lot of people in um, Silicon Valley recommend, but there's one I, I like from um, Bill Walsh called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And I tend to think about this for people who are starting companies and operating them, which is, you know, you got to focus on what matters and think about and, and break it down. Everyone wants to talk about the score, but you got to talk about what leads to those, those positive outcomes. So that's a good one, but that's not the one I want to recommend. The actual one I want to recommend is one I've been recommending for years because I'm an organizational uh, dynamic person. Like that, what I've done mostly in my career is product development, but I've come into organizations and make them better over time. And there's this book called, I believe it's called Simple Sabotage. And what it is, is there's a 1944 field manual from the, I believe the CIA, which was used for people behind enemy lines on how they could subtly sabotage their enemies. So it was, it was all about like, Hey, if you're working for us while over there in that way, what do you do? Well, here's what you do in meetings. Here's what you do for process. Here's how you introduce bureaucracy. Here's how you slow things down, that sort of thing. And I think I think that we do this all the time in our businesses without knowing it. We're actually literally doing these things all the time. And I think it's worth everyone spending time reading this book and to realize that this was a weapon to use against your enemies. So guard against it coming into your organizations as much as you possibly can. Wow. Great tip. Uh, great recommendation there. Simple sabotage as well as earlier. The score takes care of itself. Jason, this has been a mind-blowing conversation for me. I'm sure a lot of our audience would love to know where they can follow your thoughts after this episode. What's the best way to follow you? Uh, Twitter. Uh, Jason C. Warner on Twitter is probably the best, although you're going to get a mix of uh, snarky comments, family updates, and then 30 tweet threads on, uh, on how to make decisions inside companies. Nice. All right. That sounds great. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for taking some of your precious time to speak to me and enlighten our audience. It's so exciting to see what you're doing at Poolside and hopefully in Q2, we'll be able to check it out ourselves or not long thereafter. It's really tremendous what you're up to and can't wait to hear how the journey is coming along later on. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. 
Jason's ability to convey massive transformative ideas so clearly and concisely was inspiring to me and something for me to aspire toward. I hope you found today's episode as fascinating and exciting as I did. In it, Jason covered how the heavy-duty Ford F-150 LLM that Poolside is training will be markedly more valuable to humans who code than the general Toyota Camry sedan of GPT-4, Gemini, and other generalized models. He also talked about how we'll shift from a developer-led AI-assisted paradigm to an AI-led developer-assisted one in the coming years, and how the wealth of executable multi-step logic code available to train an LLM on could be the shortest path to realizing virtuoso AGI. Wow. What a mind-expanding concept. All right, that's it for today's excellent episode. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting the show by sharing the episode with people who you think might like it, reviewing it on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube, or subscribing if you don't subscribe already. But most importantly, we hope you'll just keep on listening. Until next time, keep on rocking it out there, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon. 